0: From the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas, it's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian.
1: Hello and welcome to the Transport Workers Union Air Division Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Parker. Joining me on the show today is aviation expert and leading consumer advocate, William J. McGee. Bill is an award winning travel journalist for Consumer Reports and the former editor of the Consumer Reports Travel Letter. In 2010, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation chose him as the lone consumer advocate of the Future of Aviation Advisory Committee. He has also contributed to many major magazines, newspapers, websites, and blogs. Bill also wrote the book Attention All Passengers, which is a must read for anyone who travels on airplanes or who works for the airlines themselves. Welcome to the show today, Bill.
2: Thanks very much for having me on, Brian.
1: If you would, tell us a little bit more about you, you know, before we get started.
2: Sure. Well, I guess, you know, I've been uh, involved in aviation one way or another my entire adult life. Uh, prior to becoming an aviation journalist and, a, and an airline passenger advocate, uh, I worked in the industry myself. I worked uh, in the airlines for about seven years in the flight operations side, and I'm an FAA licensed aircraft dispatcher. I also taught at Vaughn College of Aeronautics. I was in the Air Force Auxiliary for several years. So I guess like a lot of people, um, you know, I have uh aviation fuel in my blood
1: yeah and if my memory serves me right uh you and i go back to uh i think it was september october of 2017 speak about how we met
2: yeah absolutely you know i've been immersed in this topic of airline maintenance outsourcing for years and so whenever i you know hear something about it you know my my radar is attuned to it and i saw that uh the twu was having an event in uh Times Square in New York City to uh, raise awareness about it. So I made sure I got there. And uh, that's when I, I think I first met you and several other of your colleagues in the TWU. I know that uh, part of that effort was to try and raise you know awareness among the average consumer about this practice of outsourcing, something that I know we're going to talk about today.
1: You know, if you look at the airlines themselves, they seem to be, in my opinion, a race to the bottom in several different areas. You know, the decisions they're making seem to be more about pleasing the shareholders than the stakeholders. And, uh, you know, the airline passengers and employees are getting squeezed in many ways. I mean, they're jamming more and more seats on the planes and airports are bulging at the seams with flights. You know, what's your take on all that?
2: Well, I think it's it's funny that you use the term, a race to the bottom, because that's exactly what the title of Attention All Passengers was while I was working on it. The working title was A Mad Race to the Bottom. Uh, and uh, then eventually my editor suggested Attention All Passengers, which I think is a better title, so I agreed with her there. But um, the idea in the, in the Mad Race to the Bottom is really has to do with this cost-cutting. You know, when you when you talk to people um, socially, people that are outside the airline industry, people that don't know anything about the airlines, uh, you know, they, they constantly say to me and I'm sure they say to you, you know, we have been nickel and dime for everything now. You know, we used to get a hot meal and now you're lucky if you get a bag of peanuts and we used to, you know, be able to check our bags for free and now they charge you for it and they charge you if you want to make a change in your ticket and they they'll charge you if you want a seat that doesn't, you know, have your knees in your chest. And my response is always the same. You know, uh, well, you're right about all of that and more. And they have gone feet crazy. But um, think about it. Do you, do you think that the executives at the airlines now who are imposing all these fees, that they're only stopping there at their cost cutting? Um, the, the fact is that, as you know, the most serious cost cutting is what the passengers can't see. And a lot of it affects safety, and particularly maintenance and maintenance outsourcing.
1: Okay, Bill, I know in your research for your book, you put a lot of effort into that, you know, going back many years. Uh, What have you discovered in your research, first of all, leading up to the book, Attention All Passengers, and then, you know, since then?
2: Well, I first started looking at this issue of maintenance outsourcing in 2006. Uh, An editor at Consumer Reports Magazine, where I've worked for many years, came to me and said, let's look at, you know, the state of airline maintenance. And I have to be very honest with you. Uh, by that time, I had already been around the airline industry for more than 20 years, working in the industry. I have I have many family members in the industry, many friends in the industry, and I thought, well, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to learn much that I don't already know. And it just blew me away how little I I knew about how rapidly changes had occurred, particularly after 9/11 in those first couple of years. And uh, the more I looked at it, the more I found. It was like pulling out a, a thread and, you know, it leads to another thread. And, um, in fact, Consumer Reports extended the, the project from three months to nine months. So I spent the better part of a year just looking at this and speaking to dozens and dozens and dozens of airline mechanics and frontline FAA inspectors. And it just blew me away how rapidly and dramatically Everything changed, uh, uh, I wouldn't say overnight, but, but pretty quickly in the space of just a few years. I mean, basically, the model was always that, you know, major airlines in the United States, not for years, but for decades, provided all the maintenance, the heavy maintenance, for the most part, in-house with licensed mechanics who had undergone, you know, background checks and drug and alcohol screening. And now suddenly overnight, you know, I'm finding out in around 2006, 2007, that this work is being done in El Salvador and Mexico and China and Singapore, and later Brazil. And um, so it really it really shocked me. And, and I continued that research for a couple of years. And that's what eventually led to my book, Attention All Passengers, which came out in 2012.
1: Okay, Bill, talking about work overseas, you mentioned uh, foreign facilities doing aircraft maintenance. Touch on the fact that uh, not all of them are cert- certificated, are they?
2: No, the bottom line is that um, the way I describe it is that there are two sets of rules. You know, the FAA insists that there's only one set of rules when it comes to overseeing airline maintenance for U.S. carriers. But the reality is that there are two or more sets of rules uh, in the everyday world. And what I mean by that is, for example, here in the United States, if you're an airline employee and you're working on aircraft, then you want, you need to undergo Uh, a background check for security. Well, we find that that's often waived overseas. You also need to undergo here in the United States um, alcohol and drug screening. We find that very often waivers are given for that. And when you go to the FAA and you ask about this, they say, well, the United States doesn't have the ability to tell a sovereign nation Uh, you know, what kind of rules they should impose. They have their own laws. You know, some countries don't believe in drug and alcohol screening. They view view it as an invasion of privacy or they have very different views on on security background checks. And my response to the FAA is I agree 100%. You're right. The United States doesn't have the ability to tell Germany or Brazil or El Salvador or England or Japan or any other country, these are our rules and you need to adhere to them but and this is the critical point the united states has every ability to tell its own airlines through the faa listen you can't have the work done in that country because they don't adhere to our rules and instead they give waivers so no matter how you look at it believe me there are two sets of rules on on, on many issues
1: and you mentioned uh, obviously safety and we're talking about it you know outsourcing aircraft maintenance work overseas There's more to it than just safety. I mean, there's security as well, right?
2: Oh, no question. Uh, You know, if you were to have a discussion with someone about airline security, I have no doubt that 99 out of 100 people will talk about the TSA and and passenger screening at U.S. airports, because that's what what sticks with people. And of course, since 9-11, we're all familiar with the routine and taking off our shoes and belts and taking out our laptop and you know, whether you're, you know, everyone from from the elderly in wheelchairs to infants and in strollers. Right. And we all know the drill. And I think most people sort of look at it as well. It's a it's it, it can be, you know, a pain, but it's necessary. You know, my question is always, while we're going through all that, while on the front end of the airport, we're all going through this kabuki of, you know, taking off our shoes and all that. And, and again, I recognize it's necessary. It's the world we live in. But it's only part of, of, of the big picture. And, and my question is always, while we're doing that, where's the airplane been, right? So that very morning when you're going through security with your family to board a flight, that airplane may have been in El Salvador or Mexico or Brazil or some other country. And the simple fact is the rules are not the same. Again, they say they are, but they're not. That's the reality. And anyone that works at these facilities can tell you that. This is not my opinion. These are these are the opinions of experts that are in the front lines doing this every day, who I talk to all the time. And so when you're going through security, ask yourself, well, the airplane that I'm about to board and my family's about to board, who cleaned it, who catered it, who provided the the baggage handling and, and the baggage loading, who did, you know, the, the water servicing and the lavatory servicing, who did the maintenance on the airplane? Uh, you know, and to illustrate this rather dramatically, a couple of years back, it's, this is detailed in Attention All Passengers, I spoke to a mechanic for a major U.S. carrier, and he told me about how an airplane just came back from service from Latin America, and there was a problem with, with the galley, with it, with, you know, there was something in, with an oven or, or a coffee pot or something, and he had to do a repair, and he had to remove a panel in the galley, and when he removed this panel, a very large military duffel bag fell out it was filled with cocaine which obviously shocked him and so they called the drug enforcement administration they came in they you know they, they took it away the drug the dea was rather blasé and said yeah we see this all the time but this was not an airplane you know where this was put on you know by by a passenger who was boarding this was an airplane that was in a maintenance facility where just about anything could be done and the mechanic put it to me like this he said well this time it was cocaine next time it could be weapons, or it could be explosives. There's, there's, there's just not the same level of security. So, in my view, you know, this issue of of maintenance outsourcing really has three aspects to it. It's a jobs issue, clearly, because you know, good American jobs are being, you know, outsourced um, out of the country, perhaps permanently in some cases. It's the safety issue that we keep talking about, but it's also a security issue. So there really are three concerns. And I think all three concerns need need more attention.
1: You know, Bill, I couldn't agree more. Speaking on what we spoke about so far, you know, and going back to when we first met, we were having conversations about, you know, how we could force change in the industry, you know, and and a lot of the things that you spoke about. I mean, the book that you wrote, like I say, it's a few years old, but it's really as relevant or more relevant today than it was back then.
2: Well, that's the interesting thing, yeah, because, um, you know, the book came out in 2012, so it's been seven years now. And normally a nonfiction book, you know, after seven years would, would sort of be outdated and you'd move on. But uh, Attention All Passengers was a little different because I really wasn't writing about the airline industry in 2012 so much as I was writing about it, you know, into the late 20-teens and, and early 2020s. Um, it was really prognosticating about where we were headed. Uh, I, I identified it as trend lines and, you know, the trend lines that I wrote about in that book, every one of them, without exception for, from a passenger perspective has gotten worse. Uh, I, I wrote about the concern for passengers with consolidation and mergers. And we've seen even more consolidation since then. I wrote about, you know, the, the, the way the airlines have gotten fee happy and how, Booking flights is more confusing than ever because the fares and the fees are separated, and there's very little transparency during booking. Very often, uh, all of that's gotten worse. Of course, passenger service has gotten worse. So many things have gotten worse. The flights are fuller than ever. The carry-on baggage, you know, continues to increase. <clears throat> but most important, in my perspective, is the safety issues and particularly the maintenance outsourcing. When I wrote the book in 2012, there was only one. U.S. airline that continued to do the bulk of its heavy maintenance in-house, and that was American Airlines. And since then, American, of course, has started outsourcing heavy maintenance as well.
1: So on June 4th, uh, the Transport Workers Union joined with the Business Travel Coalition and Kevin Mitchell, and we organized an aircraft maintenance outsourcing summit, uh, which you joined us at, Bill, and you were a major part of that. Can you talk a little bit about that summit?
2: Yeah, I think it was a great event. And I was really excited to participate because, you know, in my perspective, this issue is so critical, maintenance outsourcing. I, I I, termed it in Attention All Passengers, the most critical safety issue facing the American public when it comes to the airline industry, this outsourcing of maintenance. But I'm going to be very blunt. I mean, I've been very vocal. Others have been as well. And, you know, I've. I've written about it. I've advocated about it in Washington, uh, you know, done media interviews, but it's safe to say that it just hasn't gotten traction. It hasn't really penetrated, you know, the national consciousness. I, I know it because I speak to average people about it all the time. You know, at social events at parties and things like that. When you talk about what you do. And I, and I mentioned this, and people are just dumbfounded. I mean, these are people that are, very uh, much into the news and and staying up with current events. And when I say, you know, U.S. airlines are sending aircraft to El Salvador and China and Brazil for, you know, everyday repairs, they just look at me and think that I'm making it up, you know. So I was so excited about the summit because, to me, it was a chance to really sort of penetrate through all the noise and and get the word out. And um, I think it's great. That consumer advocates and labor advocates are coming together, because this is an issue, obviously, that affects both of them. Look, I want to be very clear. I'm a a consumer advocate. That's what I do. That's what I always hope to do. And, um, you know, uh, when I go to Washington, I'm there speaking on behalf of passengers. And I understand that, you know, obviously, labor advocates have their perspective and, and their concerns. But this is an issue that crosses, you know, those lines. This affects all of us. It affects everyone that flies. It affects the crew members that are on the airplanes. And so, you know, the the, the thing that I loved about the summit was that we had, you know, representatives from the consumer advocacy side, including, you know, the most famous consumer advocate of them all, Ralph Nader. And we had, you know, representatives from multiple airline labor organizations, and, uh, you know, to me, we need to keep that momentum going and keep talking about it.
1: You mentioned the ones that were involved. There was uh, several that were invited that didn't show up, uh, which would be the airlines themselves. You know, we, we invited them as well as uh, some major organizations that represent airlines. You know, speaking from a labor perspective, of course, you know, we want to protect work. I mean, you know, that's what we do, right? We, we try to protect our livelihoods. But at the end of the day, I mean, our families fly on these airplanes as well. We fly on these airplanes, so we want the safest product, you know, that we can get. And uh, I mean, you know, as we've mentioned several times, the trend is just going the opposite direction. So, I mean, that's why we wanted to uh, marry with the, uh, you know, the advocacy groups.
2: Right. Well, and 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 I feel the same way. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't uh, sort of deviated from consumer advocacy, uh, I'm, I'm more, you know, devoted to protecting consumers than ever. But, um, you know, this is, this is an issue, as we said, that affects all of us. It affects everyone who flies. And so, you know, I think it's great to build coalitions uh, and to talk about this from a consumer perspective, because, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, you know, passengers don't fly, then the entire industry collapses. So, but you also mentioned, you know, that invitations were sent out and, um, you know, representatives from the airline side didn't come. Uh, I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed. Uh, and, and in looking at it, you know, uh, I'll put it this way. I'm sure I'm certainly more comfortable, uh, you know, explaining why this is a problem than if I had to be on the other side of the debate explaining why it's not a problem quite frankly i don't see how any airline executive can get up in public and and defend these practices because it's clear that the level of safety is not the same when the work is outsourced outside the united states it's not the same quality of work and it's not the same quality of oversight from the faa look we all know why and it's very simple and it can be summed up in one word money this is all about cost savings
1: yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, rather than talk about the ones that weren't there, and and, and I understand, like you said, why they weren't, because it, would, because it would be hard to defend. Talk about who all was there, if you would, touch on some of the speakers.
2: Sure. Well, you know, from, from the consumer advocacy side, you know, besides myself, there was a representative from National Consumers League. And uh, then, of course, the keynote speaker was Ralph Nader. And I had the honor of, uh, you know, conducting a and a Q&A with him on these issues. And I mean, you know, look, Ralph Nader is a household name. We all know that he's been fighting, you know, in some cases longer than some of us have been alive, you know, for consumers. In and the thing about him that I find so extraordinary is, you know, I'm I'm in a rather narrow niche, you know, I I, I just deal with airline and, and travel issues. I don't write or advocate about other topics. But when you talk to Nader, you know, it's not just that he's brilliant but he's brilliant in multiple areas and he has so much knowledge in his head and so much passion and he knows you know not just about he can speak intelligently about airlines but he can do the same thing about automobile safety and food and drug and you know uh, wall street and health industry and so when we did the Q and A, that was one of the things i brought up with him I, I wanted to get some perspective because you know we were in a room full of airline experts I wanted to get some perspective on, you know, how the, the things that we're seeing in the airline industry are being replicated in other industries. And he was able to say that, you know, he uses a term called a captured agency. And that's basically a federal regulatory body like the FAA that is, quote unquote, captured by the lobbyists and by the money you know, that flows from that industry so that the, the regulatory agency effectively works for the industry rather than for us, the consumers, the taxpayers. And, you know, there's no greater example than the FAA. You know, the fact is, as, as, as many of us know, for years the FAA publicly stated on its website that it, you know, it was working on behalf of its, its customers. And I'm putting customers in air quotes because customers there did not refer to, to you and me and all of us who fly, the taxpayers that fund the FAA. It referred to the airline industry that is supposed to oversee and, and, if need be, you know, punish for violations. So you know, it's a world upside down here. And so you know, Nader's perspective was, was invaluable. Uh, but there were there were many other speakers there as well that, that had great perspective. You know, we had. We had Loretta Alcalay, who spent many years at the FAA, so she spoke about it from the inside. And we had John Golia, who is, is sort of legendary in airline safety circles. He's the only FAA-licensed aircraft mechanic to ever be a board member on the National Transportation Safety Board. And uh, so, you know, all of these experts in one room really underscored that this is an issue, I think, that whose time has come, and, and we just need to get more word out about it.
1: And from the summit, we also proposed legislation called the Airline Passenger Safety Bill of Rights.
2: Exactly. And, you know, this is very important to me. Um, you know, I, I worked with others on trying to um, formulate this. Um, those of us who are consumer advocates for years, we've been talking about passenger bill of rights. Um, I personally have, you know, have, have been advocating about it, publicly writing about it and, and, and speaking in Washington about it. Basically, an airline passenger bill of rights usually refers to economic and passenger service provisions. In other words, what are your rights if your flight is delayed, if it's cancelled, if you get bumped involuntarily, if your baggage is mishandled, um, you know, if the fees and the fares are not clearly explained to you? They're protections. And um, you know, the European Union, for example, has had a passenger bill of rights in effect and it's worked beautifully for more than 10 years now. Now Canada is is considering something similar. Here in the US, those of us who advocate on behalf of passengers have been calling for a similar bill of rights for years. But what made this different at the summit was, we basically said, well, the most fundamental of all passenger rights is the right to fly safely. And so an airline passenger safety bill of rights details what we believe should be fundamental rights for passengers. And, and much of it has to do with transparency, with saying, okay, the aircraft that you and your family are gonna fly on, um, it was serviced by mechanics who were licensed by the FAA or an equivalency agency. It, these mechanics were you know, given background security checks. They undergo drug and alcohol screening periodically. And the work is overseen regularly by the Federal Aviation Administration. And most important, the work is done here in the United States. Well, you know, when when you look at it, um, these are things that most consumers have no awareness of. So much of this has to do with transparency, with, with getting the word out there. You know, uh, Mary Schiavo, who's who, who's known to many people inside and outside the airline industry because she, she received a lot of media attention in the 1990s when she was the inspector general for the Department of Transportation, when she was very critical of ValueJet after their tragic accident in, in, in the Everglades in Florida. Uh, Mary spoke at the summit in June, and she pointed out that, you know, if you walk into a, a grocery store and you want to buy fruit or vegetables, you pick up, you know, a bag of grapes, it'll tell you what country. You know, they were grown in lettuce, you know. Um, if you go into a furniture store and want to buy a mattress, it tells you, you know, what country your mattress was assembled in. If you, if you, you know, go to buy a new car, there are provisions now that explain, you know, even if the, the car may be a, a U.S. make, where it was made. It might be made in Canada or Mexico or somewhere else. So all of these provisions are there in, in, other, in other industries. And we're simply saying, let's shed some light on this, right? There's that old expression about, you know, the best disinfectant is sunshine. I firmly believe that the only way we're going to see progress in reforming these practices with airline safety and specifically maintenance outsourcing is going to come through more publicity. Uh, The consumer has to be aware of it. Media has to be aware of it. Lawmakers have to be aware of it. This is a dirty little secret. That's the bottom line. The airline executives that that engage in these practices, they would rather you not know about it. They would rather you not talk about it. And so the airline passenger safety bill of rights is a way of saying, let's shine a spotlight on all of this. Let's have a national dialogue. Let's have the media talk about it. Let's have congressional hearings. Let's have average people at the airport talking about it, looking and saying, wait a minute. I'm about to put my family on a flight and this airplane last major maintenance was done in El Salvador or Brazil. Why is that?
1: Yeah. And aside from the proposed legislation on the airline passenger safety bill of rights, you also uh, wrote a very detailed white paper, didn't you?
2: I did. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it, this is an interesting process because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been writing about the airline industry for many years, more than 25 years. And, um, I've been writing specifically about maintenance outsourcing for 13 years now. And it seems, you know, every couple of years I go back in and I do fresh research and I look at things, you know, to see how the trend lines are going and what's happening. And each time I see something new and each time, unfortunately, I see something more troubling. And I have to tell you, in putting together this white paper, uh, I was really shocked by one aspect, and that is that up until this year all of my research in the past really focused on, uh, for the most part, what the industry terms heavy airline maintenance, you know, the the C-checks, the D-checks, the major maintenance that is often, you know, takes an aircraft out of service for uh, quite a bit of time. Um, And much of that, of course, in recent years has been outsourced. And and others and myself, we've written about that. But what I found this time in working on this white paper in recent months is that the line maintenance, the, the everyday maintenance that's done at airports all around the country, which up until recently, for the most part, was done in house by airline employees? Now that's being outsourced so that the everyday line maintenance is being done, you know, by, by outside companies. And in many cases, it's the same problems that we've talked about, uh, not certificated in some cases, et cetera, the, the, the frontline people. And um, in some cases, uh, line maintenance is being deferred. It's not being done overnight in, in airports in the U.S. The, the aircraft are being sent outside the country. This is a huge change. And and that line maintenance, that really was literally the last line of defense. Um, you know, I spoke to numerous mechanics. It's, it's documented in Attention All Passengers years ago who said, When aircraft came back from overseas when mistakes were made, in one case, dramatically, a door was installed backwards, if you can believe that. Uh, You know, the line maintenance was there to catch those things, hopefully before passengers got on board the airplanes. Well, now that's eroding as well. So, you know, the white paper documents this and and all of these trends, and most particularly the, the, the really overriding problem, which is the FAA's lack of oversight.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, everything we've discussed, you talk about oversight and you talk about the FAA. Uh, it seems like there's some huge similarities between the uh, FAA's oversight at Boeing, which has been the hotbed news lately, and the FAA's uh, oversight of airline maintenance for many years.
2: No question. You know, the fact is that um, when you look at what we've all seen in the news in recent months, in the wake of the Boeing 737 Max events, um, the FAA's relationship with Boeing mirrors the FAA's relationship with U.S. airlines and with outside repair stations that are doing the maintenance on U.S. airlines. Uh, Now, you know, to be very clear in my own research, uh, up until this year, I had never really focused uh, heavily on Boeing and the FAA's relationship with Boeing. Uh, You know, I've, I've, Visited Boeing's facility many times, and I've I've written uh, about you know Boeing experts in different areas, emergency evacuations, and other things. But I hadn't really focused on how the FAA oversees Boeing. Uh, but when we saw these two tragic crashes of the Max, you know, and again, let's put it in perspective, we're talking about a brand new aircraft that was you know right off the drawing board, and these two specific models, you know, were brand new planes that had only each been in service for a couple of months. And so one crashes in Indonesia in late 2018, and then just a few months later, another one in Ethiopia, a total of 346 deaths. And suddenly, you know, not just the whole country, but the whole world is looking at the FAA and at Boeing. And now there are front page stories just about every day on this relationship, which is clearly dysfunctional. And, you know, I think for for me and for many others in the airline industry, we're just sort of shaking our heads and saying, "Yes, it's tragic." No question, but it's not a surprise. I can't say I was surprised by anything that I've learned about the MAX and about the FAA's relationship with Boeing because I know this song. I've I've been hearing it for years on the airline side. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, let's put the question this way. Why should we be surprised that the FAA's oversight of Boeing is so lax? when the FAA's oversight of the airlines and and outside repair stations is so lax. It's the same song, like I said, over and over again. And, you know, this is a moment in time. This is a tragedy, and it's terrible that it took all these deaths on these two crashes with the MAX to bring, you know, a spotlight to this. But I I think it's incumbent on all of us now to keep the pressure up and keep the attention on, on the FAA and on the industry to say, now's a moment in time where we can try and correct these things and try and ensure that the FAA does what it's supposed to be doing on all our behalf.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're talking about the FAA, and while we're on that and the summit, let's go back. uh, You know, we had PASS, their uh, representative, Michael Gonzalez, who represents the FAA inspectors, uh, was one of the panelists and speakers at the event, and he spoke very passionately about what's going on with the FAA.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, Michael Gonzalez, in my view, was one of the key people that was at the summit and spoke that day. He was on a panel that I co-moderated. You know, I mean, the situation was you had a room full of labor advocates representing multiple uh, labor organizations at multiple airlines. But this is a completely different perspective. Michael Gonzalez sat down at that table And he wasn't representing the airlines. He was representing the other side of the coin. He was representing, you know, the professional aviation safety specialists. Those are FAA employees. Those are government employees. Many of them are frontline safety inspectors, the ones that go out there and are supposed to kick the tires on these airplanes. And so his perspective to me was invaluable. You know, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, the airline labor advocates were there, but their perspective, you know, is from one side and his perspective is from the other and you know he made it clear and and I know this because I've known michael for for some time and we've spoken many times he made it clear that his people are just as frustrated as you know as many of the maintenance personnel on the airline side are by these practices the bottom line is they simply can't do their jobs in many cases and you know the system was set up in such a way that free not for years but for decades the faa put its resources where the airlines put put their resources and so the faa was nearby and they could provide oversight and now when the work is in el salvador or brazil or china they can't provide the same level of oversight and there's a story in in attention all passengers that i tell with uh, a frontline faa inspector he spoke to me at length and uh he was assigned to a a, a major u.s carrier and work was being done in china and he said you know in the old days he could just get in his car and drive over to the facility and walk in anytime technically 24 7 if he wanted and show his badge and go in and and you know walk up to a mechanic and say what are you doing there and you know and and kick the tires as they say well now the work you know was being done in china this was several years back and um it took him three months to get permission to go on a, you know, quote unquote surprise visit, which of course is, is a joke. And not only was the FAA involved and the DOT, but the, the department of state was involved, right? Because China is a, a sensitive topic. So the bottom line was by the time he finally got there, everyone knew that he was on his way. And when he got there, he said he was taken to a hangar and he said, it actually looked like a Hollywood set. I mean, you know, many of the people listening to this have spent many hours in, in aircraft hangars, and they know what they look like. He said, this one looked like it had just been built and the floor, you could eat off of it. And every tool was, you know, perfectly shiny and gleaming and hanging on the wall. And the technicians were wearing white smocks, you know, and they were all lined up and smiling. And, and he said to me that he felt like a fool because uh, it was clear that everyone knew he was coming and were putting on a shelf for him. And he said he didn't even know if this was actually you know, there was an airplane there, but if it was actually a facility that was used for work or just for show, uh, that's where we are now. Okay. That's where we are. And, um, you know, I was at the American Airlines maintenance facility in Oklahoma back in 2011. I spent two days there, state-of-the-art facility that now, you know, is, is rapidly being outsourced to Brazil and Mexico and other places. And I remember something that stuck with me. I asked, one of the maintenance personnel there about, you know, how often do you see the FAA? And he pointed to the parking lot and right outside the front door of the facility, which we reserved parking spaces that said FAA. And, um, you know, the FAA's office was nearby. And then he said to me, um, how many parking spaces do you think there are for the FAA in El Salvador? And that really brought it home for me.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of pass uh the professional aviation safety specialist i know they teamed up with the transport workers union the international association of machinists and the transport trade transportation trades department and they sent a joint letter to transportation secretary elaine chow recently you know demanding that she address the safety in foreign repair stations you know the, i mean that's something that you know i mean we have to at some point We're going to hit rock bottom and, uh, we know what rock bottom looks like. I mean, you know, we've got to do a better job. We just simply got to do a better job. You know, there's another issue that's, uh, happening, you know, it's on, it's on a much more regular basis. It seems like it's in the news all the time, which is aircraft, uh, cabin fume events or, you know, are you following that at all?
2: Yes, I am. Um, you know, I can't say I'm an expert yet, but I'm, I'm trying to educate myself on it and talking to people that, that, that know more about it. And um, it's really disturbing because it's not just how serious some of these events are, but it's the frequency. And I have to tell you that uh, I'm, I'm really disturbed by how often they're being reported. Um, here's the interesting thing about it is it's this odd thing in that it's, it's, it's out there it's, it's happening, and we know it's happening, but yet, in my view, the dots aren't really being connected. Um, there are people that are speaking about it, but they're not getting a lot of media attention. Um, but if you were to Google this, and if you were to, you know, research it, you'll find that, I mean, it, it can be as often as once a week. Um, these events are happening where aircraft are diverting, or they're doing air turnbacks, they're having emergency landings because um, of, you know, fume events and, uh, and air problems inside the cabin in flight. Obviously, this is critical. It can lead to tragedy. And, you know, it's documented. It's very often documented by local media, not by national media, by local TV stations or radio stations. And they say, you know, Airline X just had, you know, a flight that, you know, diverted to such and such a city. And, you know, two people or three people were taken off the plane and, and, and brought to a hospital. And you sort of say, well, what's going on here? Um, so I've started researching this and I've started talking to some experts. And uh, I'll be honest, I've, I've sort of pitched it as, a, as an article to write for several publications. And, and so far, I haven't had interest, uh, you know, um, but this is the type of thing Where, unfortunately, we've seen this many times. If something tragic happens, suddenly everybody's going to be talking about it. But it's happening. And I think, you know, the most vocal voices have been uh, from crew members, particularly flight attendants, because it seems to be a much more serious problem in the cabin than in the cockpit. And um, there's one flight attendant in particular, Heather Poole, who's on a, a leave of absence right now due to health issues, who has been very vocal about it. Uh, But my perspective, you know, as a consumer advocate is, well, if this is affecting the health of flight attendants, then that means it's also uh, affecting the health of some passengers, maybe not all passengers, maybe not, you know, the family that goes once a year to Disney World, and that's all the flying they do. But frequent flyers are in airplane cabins as often as flight attendants in some cases. So anything that affects crew ultimately affects passengers as well. And we need to shine a light on this problem.
1: Absolutely, at the Transport Workers Union, we represent uh, you know several airlines, and uh, TW International President John Samuelson has said publicly that you know these cabin fume events is the airline's dirty secret. You know he talks about how the air quality is terrible inside these airplanes, and federal legislation's been introduced by the U.S. Congress to address the issue, uh, and it's called the Cabin Air Safety Act. And it's sponsor, sponsored by Richard Blumenthal, Senator Richard Blumenthal, and uh, Representative John Garamundi. And the TW fully endorses this bill. So, I mean, hopefully it's, you know, we talk about the sunshine. Hopefully the light shining on that because, I mean, it does seem to be a very serious issue.
2: Well, in my perspective, all of these issues have one single common theme, whether we're talking about fume events in the cabin or maintenance outsourcing or the problems at Boeing and that is all roads lead back to the FAA and you know there's a uh, there's a term that's been used for many years in the industry by airline employees and even by FAA employees in the front lines and that is they refer to the FAA as the tombstone agency and what that means is that far too often the FAA only responds to known problems when there has been a tragedy, and when, in, in many cases, when there's been a death. And we saw it as recently as last year with the events on Southwest Airlines and where a woman tragically lost her life over Philadelphia due to a an uncontained engine failure. Um, the fact is, we knew that was coming because an almost identical event occurred. Same engine, same airline, same same airplane, 737, Southwest Airlines two years earlier in 2016, only that time the uncontained engine failure in flight thankfully didn't lead to any injuries or deaths. And the FAA had a clear opportunity to step in in 2016 and say, okay, this engine has problems and we need to inspect them and let's do that. And instead it dragged its feet for nearly two years and allowed, once again, the industry to police itself, just as it allows Boeing to police itself. and and basically threw it back to the airlines and said, well, what do you want to do? And the airlines, including Southwest, said, well, you know, we need more time, we need more time. Then what happened? That woman lost her life in 2018, and then immediately, within three days, an order was, an an AD, an airworthiness directive was issued, and the engines were, were, you know, mandated that they be inspected. That's the problem in a nutshell. All of these issues lead back to the FAA, and the FAA, unfortunately should be working for all of us and unfortunately it advocates its responsibility to the industry
1: absolutely uh, very well said well you know i've enjoyed our time today uh i'm not in a rush i mean we can continue i could talk to you all day because i mean uh, you know we're extremely passionate you and i both are extremely passionate about these issues uh before we go is there anything else you'd like to discuss
2: well there is one more thing and and, and i agree with you brian i i could do it all day too i i I really appreciate the opportunity of of allowing me to talk about these things. You know that I I'm very devoted to, you know, bringing more attention to them. Um, and one thing I would like to, to bring up is that, um, you know, we talked before about the summit in Washington and how uh, Ralph Nader joined us there and I did a Q&A with him. Um, everyone knows who Ralph Nader is. Everyone knows that he's been fighting tirelessly for consumers, you know, for decades. But um, what many people may not know is that he's been personally touched by these tragic events with the Boeing Max. Um, His sister's granddaughter, uh, a young woman, only 24 years old, was killed in Ethiopia in the second Boeing Max uh, accident. And um, I think we all know how, you know, devoted uh, Ralph Nader is to, to safety and consumer issues. Well, you know he's he's more devoted than ever on this issue, and so recently at his uh, the museum that he founded, the American Museum of Tort Law, in Connecticut, he uh, the family had a a memorial service for Stuma, uh his his great niece, and um, I was very honored to be asked to speak there, and uh, members of the Transport Workers Union uh, attended as well. At at that event, uh, you know. We, we we celebrated the the life of this young woman and the others whose whose lives were lost in these in these Max accidents, but it was also um, you know a call to action. That's 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 really what it was, um, and it was basically saying that you know we have to do something. We can't allow you know Boeing and or the FAA to just sort of gloss over these you know systemic problems. Uh, with the max and then going beyond that, the larger problems with maintenance, outsourcing, repair stations, et cetera. Um, This is, this is, I look at it that this is a time where now is the time we have to do something and we have to bring more attention to it. So, uh, you know, I'm prepared to align with whoever, you know, also wants to, uh, you know, shine, shine a light on this and together, you know, seeing what we can do because, um, we don't want to get to the point where things are so broken that we can't fix them.
1: Absolutely. And uh, obviously, you know, we've collaborated on, you know, things going back from the transport workers union with you and, you know, other advocates and we'll continue to do so. I want to thank you for joining me, but I really want to thank you for all the work that you do, you know, and advocating for the passengers. Uh, Like I say, it means a lot to me, you know, just on a personal level. Again, you know, I mean, I fly on these airplanes and my families do, and we have to push for the safest product, you know, for our passengers. So thank you again today. Uh, it's been great, Bill. It's been great having you on. Will you join us again sometime?
2: Absolutely, Brian. I want to thank you. And uh, anytime I can come on, I'll be happy to do it because, um, you know, the bottom line is we all have a lot of work ahead of us. And um, it's not going to be an easy fight. So let's let's continue.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening today. And be sure and uh Join us again on the next Transport Workers' Union Air Division podcast. To purchase Bill McGee's book, Attention All Passengers, go to Amazon.com. It's available in print, Kindle, and audiobook. Have a great day.
0: For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at twu.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at twu.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android Podcatcher, or your RSS feed enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel.